This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyers Bay, Dunedin, and I am joined by Glenys Kerr in Cromwell. Welcome, Glenys. Good morning. I'm going to have to change that introduction. I suppose people still are in their safe spaces, but their safe spaces, their bubbles have gotten bigger. Very true. Yep. Yep. So how did your time in your bubble go? Uh, we had a... we. Because we had the sort of a certain amount of time, um, we raced back up here to Pisa, and ne- our next door neighbours are new. They're just new to um, Pisa moorings, so we invited them into our bubble, and another woman just along the road who lived on her own. So there was a bubble of five of us right from the get go, and I think that's what made it easy. In that every three days we'd have dinner at each other's place and um, share, share stories and support. And so it worked really well for us. Otherwise, I think I would have shot my husband or he would have <laughs> shot me. <laughs> but you were able to get out and get some exercise? Yeah, so we're quite, um, you know, there's not a lot of people around here. So we live right on the lake. There's a cycle track and people did um, keep their distance so it's not it's all flat ground here so it's easy to move and um, so there's k's each way that you can walk forever you can walk into town around the lake we also did a lot of biking and there's the 45th parallel hill just down the road which has about 468 steps or something so lots of places to go to get exercise. You can't really complain here. You could, oh, it's a bit cold to swim. Oh, you're not allowed to swim anyway. Yeah, no, there wasn't any swimming. <laughs> you're allowed <laughs> to swim now. Yep, it's too cold. <laughs> and your kids are scattered around? Yeah, the two girls up north, uh, Hannah went out to Tara's, and uh, so she had a family to be with because Hannah lives on her own. And Nikki had just bought a house in in Wanaka, so she had flatmates. And Ash was in Twizel with his dad and their partners. Yep. So has there been mass hugging over the last twenty four hours or so? No, not no, not really. Because I, I, I mean, one good thing about being in your bubble is you do learn to communicate on Zoom, Facebook, Skype, whatever. And so it does feel like you've been connected anyway. And I guess that's something we learnt was that you can make that more effective. So, no, I haven't haven't seen the kids. Oh, yeah, no, I have. My son has been down here building the last day or so, so I've seen him. Hmm. Let's go straight to one of your music choices. Country music, you reckon? Yeah. Well, I'm kind of... That was a country music fan so I didn't really have a choice but I've learned to love it <laughs> and you grew up in Geraldine yeah that's true <laughs> okay so let's have The Wagon Wheel by Dennis Rucker God, I see headlights. I made it down the coast. 
17 hours Picking me a bouquet of dogwood flowers And I'm hoping for rally I can see my baby tonight So rock me mama like a wagon wheel Rock me mama any way you feel Hey I pick a banjo now Oh, North Country winners keep a getting me down Lost my money playing poker so I had to leave town But I ain't a turning back to living that old life no more So rock me mama like a wagon wheel Rock me mama any way you feel Hey But he's a headed west from the Cumberland Gap to Johnson City, Tennessee. I got, I gotta move on before the sun. I hear my baby calling my name, and I know that she's the only one. And if I die in Raleigh, at least I will die free. So rock me, mama, like a wagon wheel. Rock me, mama, in a way you feel. Hey, mama, rock. birthday which was at Otago Polytech in the hub uh, that and Achy Breaky Heart were the two songs that we decided were the best for people to line dance to and so I have really good memories of Sean Bell and Heather Day dancing, Robin Day and John Golter on, uh, playing the music and me giggling at all of us trying to line dance um, in some coherent Mina, <laughs> did you dance? You were there, I think. <laughs> there may have been some dancing. I'm not sure there was line dancing. <laughs> uh, yeah. So how how's the working from home been going? 
Um, well, um, it's been okay. The thing that I found hard was, um, you know, being in Zoom 24-7 or Teams is you are sitting and so, you know, because there's a lot of people usually on or you're assessing, you practice all your non-verbal cues. So you're nodding and then if you look on the screen and everyone else is nodding, you have to find some other <laughs> non-verbal cue. <laughs> Otherwise we all look like naughty. And 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 so you learn it quickly and you learn to communicate differently. And so it does work. I was always not convinced that assessments would be transformational for people, but they have found it has been. So we must be doing something right. The only downside is um, you've got to get up and move around. And if you've got meetings one after another, you you know, your body is stiff. Yeah, I find myself quickly like getting up and running around for the, the, yeah. the minutes or two between meetings. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So just being aware of those things, really. Mm. You were talking about how we've learnt to communicate better we were talking about friends but but also with work friends and family better through zoom what do you think that we might carry on doing in terms of that learning uh, i think that we will probably be more open to saying yes to zoom assessments in the future in the past i've always believed that face-to-face communication and presence is really important and I still believe that but I'm not opposed if a learner says I don't want to fly over or fly down or somewhere that we we've now got the skills to make that work to make that assessment just as powerful um, as if they were face to face. We've had to develop some not protocols but the practices have developed over the eight weeks or so, haven't they? Yeah. yeah. And, and they're little things. It is to how to inject that warmth through a, a screen to someone to, you know, still have that chit-chat till they, they're comfortable. And also some of the things like not interrupting them through their oral presentation uh, and, and, and being okay with that. Yeah, and for the learner, it's that they're okay just taking us through that and not wanting too many interruptions. So yeah. you have you have a lot of learners doing a whole variety of programs, but mostly the Bachelor of Applied Management, Bachelor of Social Services, and the postgrad suite of professional practice. So you've got a really good set of feelers out there into New Zealand's professional practice world people all over the place changing their practice mm. or, or, or thinking about what their practice is. What lessons have we got from this? What lessons have we got? Um, uh, well, I've had a couple of learners in the Masters change their what they want to do, their thinking. So being agile, adaptable, you know, my favourite word, pivot, learn to pivot. Um, has been has been good. Um, I think, and so, but also in the undergrad, people are doing their case studies on living in COVID times or living in lockdown. But for some of that, it's been quite inspirational and innovative and creative for them in their practice or in their in their work or in their practice. But for some, it's devastating. And um, you're hearing it. You're hearing the devastation of their business gone under um, and all those psychological problems that go with that. So, yeah, for every powerful, innovative, creative future for one is devastation for another. How are you working with people to maintain that as a positive interaction? Um, kind of a, a, having this, allowing them the space to, to tell that story and then sort of rather than going 
backwards or letting them go into a bottomless pit is, um, you know, one of the questions I often ask is, you know, thinking back into your past, when has uh, devastation hit you before and what kind of strategies have you used? And that's when they kind of go, oh, no, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. However, I still have to work through what my future will like because that business won't be resurrected. So, and I think when they find they've got someone to listen to who's not judging them in terms of how much money we're going to give them or things like that, you kind of you kind of hear them moving forward. Yeah, you have to be really careful that you don't end up in this story where you've got nowhere to go other than <laughs> you know. Yeah, but quite devastating, you know, and a lot of mental health issues. So we're hearing that. Liesel Mitchell is a downtown dweller, urban explorer and conversationalist, observing city life in lockdown. Well, hi there, bubble people. It's Liesel here. I hope you're having a lovely day and uh, starting to feel maybe a little bit more normal again. I don't know. Like, is this normal? What is the new normal? We're, we're, we're always kind of risk defining this at the moment aren't we we're we're redefining and defining what normal is which is maybe a good thing because maybe there shouldn't actually really be a normal as such there should just be varying degrees of comfortable and uh, the ability to adapt to maybe the not so comfortable um yeah well I was just thinking a little bit about uh my uh my last sort of few weeks and what's been going on and and I guess, you know, I've got a lot of time to think about these things, but I find that my, my walks that I go for every morning and every evening, um, which is effectively just a big loop around the block that I've sort of got into a bit of a holding pattern now of, well, not a holding pattern, I really enjoy these loops, but they're, they're a bit of a loop that I just take every, every day pretty much the same. Um, and... I'm finding I'm seeing more and more people, which is quite nice, um, quite nice, and yet also people, yes, those those people over there, the, the ones that have the germs, right, because we've all got the germs, and this is what we've got to keep safe from, and there's just this very strange thing going on here where, you know, I'm, I've been walking around a lot and haven't seen many people for quite a long time, and now that I'm sort of encountering a few more, I'm finding, you know, I, I sort of do my whole skirt around them and sometimes ride out onto the street so that I've got enough room and, you know, being thoughtful about social distancing and what we're meant to be doing here and keeping our distance from people. But it feels really wrong in lots of ways. Like, and if I'm not concentrating, I don't do it. Like, it's obviously not our intuitive sort of nature to give people a two-metre wide berth, although I will normally even in the, the the old normal, whatever that that whatever we define that as, I usually tended to give people a bit of space. Um, but I find if I'm on the phone, if I'm talking to someone else and I'm walking along or I'm maybe just preoccupied, if I see another person, I actually don't always remember to do that social distancing thing because naturally, I think we're just drawn to being closer to each other than the two meters apart or it's not our usual anyway is it so um, thinking about how to interact with other humans when clearly we're social we um, we need each other and we we like to be close to humans to other humans even even the ones we don't know now, this is what I'm discovering these people I see around just on the street most of them aren't people I know already and yet um, there's this sort of, you know, weird dis dissonance in me when I have to kind of uh, give someone big distance, like, oh, I don't like you. And I'm like, no, 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 that's not what I mean by this big distance thing. You know, it's almost like you're counter, counter socializing. You're sort of, I'm sorry, I can't be close to you. Not, not because you're not a great person. I'm sure you are. But um, there's this whole virus thing. Yeah, yeah, I've got to just, yeah, keep over here. And yet there's also a lot of people that just maybe like me when they're distracted 
they don't kind of remember the stuff, but people are very distracted then because there is there is a lot of people uh, that I've sort of encountered that I'm doing a lot of the distancing and they don't seem to have even realised that I'm on the footpath with them. So these varying degrees of like how we interact with each other and how we notice each other and that's sort of been fascinating for me and I've been just thinking about okay so how are we going to greet each other as we move forward as we start to sort of spend more you know have more time with each other and be able to sort of hang out a bit more how are we going to greet each other obviously touching isn't going to be something that's instantly kind of accessible Um, is it a bow you know bowing's a great way of giving someone some respect and some you know acknowledgement is it a I know though there's the old uh you know eyebrows up Jacinda Jacinda gave us the eyebrows up as one that we could do but I don't know are there some other ways that we can maybe greet each other so that we feel like we're being acknowledged and um and that it's meaningful I think making eye contact is a huge one and that's something that I've noticed a lot of people you know struggle with especially when we're trying to ignore each other on the footpath so yeah just some things to think about and um, I'm sure we'll talk again about many of these things and so much more. Hope you have a great day, bubble peeps out there. Take care of yourselves. One of the things that I've noticed is that people are thinking about the real essence of what it is that they do and that they're not describing what they do in terms of their daily routine because that's been disrupted. So once you take that daily routine out, they're left to be thinking about, well, What's the purpose of what I do? And how can yeah. I achieve that? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, one of my learners works in the Labour Party caucus, which you might want to interview. Thomas. Of all of the things that we've seen, societal changes that we've seen in the, the last two months or so, what do you think is going to stick and what do you hope will stick? In terms of what? Just give me some... The things that you've like seen, uh, communities coming together. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, so I think I've seen, I think the word generosity probably would be a word that I've seen a lot more people, including myself, is that generosity of spirit. Um, we're more, people are more aware, more alert, more conscious of what we can all do better and do to help, do help others. You know, I heard someone say, gosh, I've learnt, I know my neighbours now. And I was kind of mortified because I thought, gosh, not knowing your neighbours. But in this space, there's a lot of neighbourly support um, and generosity. And I I think people like myself who appreciate that we are fortunate and that we still hold jobs, we're still being paid. In fact, our work is probably busier, and yet our next-door neighbour may have lost their job. So that generosity of spirit... The other day, I'll just tell you this wee story, you might like it. Um, Because we've moved into one house, so we no longer have a place in Dunedin, we had a lot of a garage full of bedding and kitchen appliances and clothes and stuff. And um, my husband doesn't like a mess, so he put it all into the Jeep, um, knowing that none of our kids needed it because we'd checked. And um, he was determined to get rid of it. And I rang a lot of the churches in the community and I emailed and I checked out Hospice and Salvation Army, everyone, to see if I could donate the stuff. And nobody got back to me. So I, so I drove into town. It was a, I drove into town and um, I saw the Vanuatu boys who work in the orchards, walking along the road. So I stopped and asked them if they would like my stuff. So they gave, (laughs) one of the guys hopped in the car and I gave him a ride back to the chalets and I emptied it out. And he said to me, why me? Why us? And I said, because I'm sure that some of this you might 
appreciate. But when you do get to go home, there's lots of presents in there. And he said, presents? And I said, I just don't see you wearing my clothes. You know, because <laughs> I had... <laughs> Yeah, so so these guys, you know, they couldn't get home before lockdown. There was no work during lockdown. So all the money they had saved to send home, they had to spend to stay here. And nobody seemed to know about it. And so I dropped off the stuff and then I went home and told my neighbours and, and a few people around and I could drop off more loads of stuff. And then um, when I was in the supermarket and they were buying their rice, I just picked up the tab. Oh, you know, that's cool. Yeah. And so I see, and that's not only me that's doing that kind of thing. There's plenty of people around that are baking. And I just couldn't, I sort of was cross at how we didn't know as a community there wasn't any, and not that it's someone else's job, but I became aware that, well, I can do it. You know, I don't have to wait for someone else to say, please contribute. So I see a lot more of that generosity of spirit. I see a lot more people um, wanting to study and change their, you know, aware that their future may not be what they thought it was. So looking at how um, their transferable skills can go into other fields. So I'm excited about that. Yeah. And we're well pitched to do that work. Not as a marketing thing, but how do we make sure that the, the, the same as we didn't know about those, those workers from Vanua too, how do, how do we make sure that people know that those sorts of options are, are available? Well, I was talking to one of my colleagues who works on campus in the career area because I still teach in there and um, she said oh we want to set up pop-up places all over all over the place so you know they're here to help without it implying that someone needs help but here to have those discussions and for the people who are staffing those pop-ups to be aware of of what could be possibilities you know um, and for some, it might just be a rewrite of a CV that they hadn't thought about. Some of it could be conversation. Some of it could be doing some edge bits. Um, so I saw that as a positive because I just immediately envisaged that set up in, in Cromwell in the little village where everyone is. Yesterday, everyone was there. Yes. <laughs> you know, smiling and, and um, no, I didn't see anyone with my clothes on, but you know, smiling and laughing and sitting on benches and and just engaging. So it's like that's a perfect little place to um, to make those opportunities happen where people can engage. It was a strange day yesterday, I think, because there were lots of people out being quite joyous at the we can do this, but also slightly apprehensive as I haven't been this close yeah. to people. Yeah, but I felt I felt that you know that's another thing we've learned is you you don't have to get in someone's space to let them know that you care about them. You know that we've all learned some other ways of um, showing that, and people, you know, whether it's a nod or a you know a whatever, people are reaching out to people to each other. That sense of community is strong here. And, but, of course, the first thing I thought of was, but no one knew about these poor fruit pickers. And um, so I just keep telling that message. And so now I've had a lot of people saying, where can I drop off warm blankets? I've got home-cooked food, you know. And so um, I'll go back because I know where they live, but I don't want, you know, the whole town driving there. They'll be overwhelmed. But um, finding a way that that can happen for not only them, because in that, uh, it's like a camping ground, are hundreds of people, maybe not hundreds, a lot of people that are, are um, you know, not in a good space.
Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokanui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, na mihi aroha nui, kia koutou koutou ho. hope you're all having the best day. Beautiful superstars, newly emerged from your beloved bubbles. And I hope that today you'll return to the universe that you know so well has been completely triumphant and exhilarating and pleasurable and an adventure. And as your bubble burst, a beautiful sheen and shimmer and sparkle was cast all around you for you to see the world anew with fresh eyes, brimming with enthusiastic tears of joy to be reunited with all of these aspects that we have been longing for and we've been waiting so patiently for in our beloved bubbles. So for me, something that I've been really waiting for, I got to reunite with today, which of course is my favourite place in the whole universe, my beautiful place of meaning and healing and work, Orokunui Eco Sanctuary, which is a really beautiful restoration project that I've been very lucky to be part of for the last 11 years. And as I returned there today, it was just amazing. It was the most incredible mixture of emotions that I think we're all feeling at the moment, that sense of deep love and connection with all of these parts of our lives that we really, really treasure. But also that sense of grief and that sense of that way that we connected with these parts of our lives has shifted and has changed. But I hope that that appreciation for you as it has for me has really deepened and what does grief tell us grief tells us that we love and that that love is still there and it's looking for a new way to be felt and a new way to be expressed and a new way to be experienced and I believe in us I know that we can still love our lives and express that love for our lives in so many new ways. And it's really very exciting. So as I wandered around the overgrown tracks today at Orokunui Eco Sanctuary Visitor Centre, I just loved seeing all the baby plants making their ways across the track. All of the introduced plants that we describe as weeds coming and finding new places to live now that our wonderful volunteers who normally contribute 2,000 hours every month have not been able to access the sanctuary so all this life is returning and I also saw that even though it's so cold when I put my hand in my beautiful friend Waimaria the eels pond it was very very cold water even though the days are getting shorter and the nights are getting longer, we're having to wear more and more layers of beautiful protective clothing. Beautiful native trees are fruiting. And I thought, wow, this is such an amazing image for us at this time because this is what we've been doing. We've been maturing and growing and we've been protected inside these wonderful bubbles and now we're we're ripening and we're coming out into the world and we're ready for these other life forms around us to come and connect with us and move us around and plant us somewhere suitable so that we can bloom and blossom and grow so it's really an exciting time for us, but it's a time that is part of a long, patient process. And of course, this beautiful lesson from the real world, the living world, the natural world, is telling us something else as well, as always, which is of course that even when times are really tough, even when it's really cold, even when we wouldn't expect it, there is always nourishment and sustenance to be found. And of course, 
It's just about looking for it. And so I'm so grateful that I was able to reconnect with my favourite place in the world today, even if it was just briefly. And I know that we will have to do things a little bit differently going forward, but I know that all the love that I feel will continue to grow and develop and ripen and will be able to be expressed and enjoyed. And so I hope the fruits of all your labours are shining brightly for you all and you can enjoy feeling very proud of all your patience over these last few weeks. And I'll look forward to talking to you next time. Thank you so much. Kakite. So wearing your careers hat, what's the advice for people who have been disrupted in a significant way? Um, is to come and talk to someone about about options or opportunities if they can't if they're unable to be creative themselves. Um, I mean, I have been doing that work for the last six weeks with people just as, um, just because just I can. Um, and a lot of people who are in their own business, uh, so even my youngest daughter, she's a cleaner. She owns her own cleaning business. She immediately switched to eco boxes um for mother's day and you know whether it's you know a pampering box or whatever and then she um did some dog walking and you know and so just taking that same those same stories and we're and helping other people and they sometimes they just go i'm thinking i might um there's a part-time job, someone's on maternity leave, should I apply for it? And it's like, yeah, I'll help you with your CV. So reaching out to people if, they've, if they don't have, if, if they've lost hope. Let's take the Who's Pinball Wizard. Disciples needed him, and he just does the rest. 
little fingers, never seen him fall. That gift of a blind kid sure plays a mean pinball. will change is people will be comfortable less time being really busy and be more comfortable in in being I hope I hope that I don't get on a plane every five minutes like I have <laughs> yeah well it's about to change in your house yeah yeah it is um though though I've heard some frustrations with the you know people wanting to t us to all take cuts um, to say to help the economy and things like that, and and I guess from from my perspective, it's like, wow, we're one of the lowest paid, in, you know, in society in terms of education. We're certainly in the not for profit, um, and so how was I feeling about that? Yeah, I was thinking about that. And we're certainly, I mean, we're in the fortunate position that our work has carried on. We are. Um, but it, would, yeah. it's carried on with bells on. Exactly. But I would rather use my energy and skills and time to help other people think about their futures rather than donate 20% of my salary. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like, no, I'll do the work. I, we're already doing it in lots of ways. We're already supporting people. And so I don't necessarily see by us all taking a pay cut that that's going to benefit rather than use our skills in the, in the learning environment. I have some questions to end with. Yep. Except that I've lost them. They're back again. No, that's the wrong set. This is the set. What is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Uh, um, well, three years ago, I finished my doctorate. <laughs> that was huge. And I think the, the success about that is that I was putting new things into action in the learning environment. So it, you could see the changes. So, yeah, it wasn't so much about me. It was more the work I was able to do. Uh, I think overall the success is no different in the last three years as it has been in my work in education, which is effectively facilitating for successful outcomes for learners. So I think that's where my passion is. So that's where the success is. And being able to deliver things which are simultaneously inside the box and outside the box. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's quite innovative, but we, we're also having to and you know, d delivering on things like quality measures means we have yeah. to somehow manage those two tensions or, or, or exactly. actually try and make, figure out how to make them actually work together. Well, I think we've been quite successful because the transformation is for the learner and their organisation and their workplace and for their own practice. So I think we're, we've been hugely successful in that space. I don't believe other people can replicate that yet. So one of the big things out of your doctorate was the importance of that transformation experience. Yeah. What can we help people do, not just our learners, but what, what advice would we have for people that are changing what they're doing as part of this COVID response? to make it a positive transformation? Is it a mindset, a willingness to transform, engaging with it? What, what's the deal there? Yeah, I think that there are all those um, skills that sort of fall under resilience and, and being adaptable. But I think that often when people are fearful, then they, they don't know how to change or see the world through a different lens. And I think that takes quite skilled people to, to have those conversations. Um, and I just think it's being aware of those um, fear factors in people. Of course they're fearful. They've got no money. Their livelihoods have changed. So 
it's it's up to us to find ways around to deal with that that those fears. And we're skilled at it, so we should be doing it. We should be accessing our superpowers. So what's your superpower? Well, I think that is my superpower is effectively facilitating for success, well, for successful outcomes for learners. I think that's that's what I do good. Do you consider yourself to be an activist? No. Depends what your interpretation of activist is. No, you can you can interpret it how you like and then tell me. Well, if I saw it in my terms, um, which would be actively lobbying for things that I believe in, yes, I'm an activist. You know, on Sustainable Lens, we've asked a lot of people that question, and almost everybody says words to that effect. Almost everybody says, oh, yes, I'm an activist, but I'm not a Greenpeace activist. And then... Then we had on the head of policy for Greenpeace, and he said, oh, yes, but I'm not a Greenpeace activist. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I understand. I guess it's the word that has connotations, but the meaning is, you know, is if I am actively lobbying for a cause. <laughs> yeah, on one level. <laughs> <laughs> So what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? People, learners, helping people succeed and transform. Um, equity is a big one for me, um, providing opportunities for people who never thought they could. So second chance learners, uh, people who have never gone on to tertiary learning. Um, I love that work. Uh, it is what gets me out of bed. I also enjoy assessing other people's learners um, which often improves my practice because I see different different ways of doing things or getting to the end point. Um, that my work has um, have been huge um, by the so I work with a lot of elite athletes so they are handing in learning tasks every second of their day and that inspires me because. Uh, elite athletes have that strong athlete idea about anything other than their sport and I think COVID has given them a reason to go actually my life in sport might be cut short quite quickly so seeing them engage and these are uh, men and women often with young families so you know there's three or four kids running around the house and their only time to think about this is when everyone's in bed. So that's been kind of neat. Um, just hearing them put their heart and soul into a different future and not actually letting it affect them. I've got a son-in-law in the same boat. <laughs> so, you know, his his overseas, how he earns his money is on the Asian tours and he's not going anywhere. So, you know, he's talking a lot about what else he can do, what he can, how he can earn a living. So is he twiddling his thumbs? Is he is he finding finding a way of making money out of sport without playing it, or is it shifting yeah, to something completely different? Uh, no, he, he's hoping to get back to sport, but he he's also thinking about um, what else he could do. And he's been a very um, a smart investor, so he engages in um, he's got a lot of in, um, uh, investment with us in, in rental properties and designing homes and he's starting to look at, at other ways of doing that you know whether it's tiny houses or uh, so he's in that space but he's also into a coaching mode of helping other people which is good I must admit the first couple of weeks I'm sure he sat on the couch going what the hell <laughs> you know Having to engage with his tiny daughters and who are, you know, um, one of them's a very busy little girl. So, you know, he's not used to to that life. So I almost felt sorry for him for a while because he, you know, it's all of us, and he had to learn how to colour in and and um, be creative with games for kids. So yeah. 
what challenge are you looking forward to in the next year or two? Um, it's interesting because this is our home here now. So I see one challenge will be how to adjust my life um, around a man who's always worked 24-7. You know, is that going to mean that he's going to want to do stuff that I'm then going to have to figure out how to do both? Um, or is he going to return to different roles? He's been offered a lot of jobs. <laughs> yeah, and so seeing, seeing that, but also understanding that he has a, he, you know, trying to encourage him to do things he's always wanted to do, you know, whether that's travelling or, uh, see, he's out chopping wood at the moment. <laughs> um, you know, just watching what's changing, yeah. And, and then working out where I fit and how I can um, say yes to all his great ideas or, and most of the time it'll work, yeah. And, and growing this community, you know, this is, in the street we live in, everyone bar me and Tim are retired. So, you know, there's lots of exciting things, yeah. And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Yep, that there's a whole lot of us who are available to engage in conversations about um, what next, what might the future look like, um, what to do now. And sometimes it's not necessarily that we have the answers, it's just that we can listen and, and put our creative lens on. Yeah. Thank you very much for joining me. You're welcome. No photos of the hairdo, okay? <laughs> You've been listening to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We broadcast on Otago Access Radio every weekday afternoon at three and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook too. We've had contributions from Tahu McKenzie and Liesl Mitchell. I'm Samuel Manon Sawyers Bay Dunedin, and I've been joined by Glenis Kerr from Peter Moorings outside Cromwell. She works with me in Capable New Zealand at Otago Polytechnic. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.